0: Hey, everybody, welcome to the Be Better Tomorrow podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fisher. Today, we're talking to Cassandra Ferris about how to chart the course to your dream job. Cassandra has a very interesting background around technology, but she's always been interested in the human side. Now, working as a product evangelist, she's drawing on her skills as a, as a recruiter to help people chart that path. Figure out what it is you like and don't like about where you work, and figure out how to do more of what you like with every job change and less of what you don't like with those same job changes. She walks me through as if I was her client, and I'm hoping you can draw some of the things that she's trying to get out of me out of your own life as you work towards being better tomorrow. Let's hear from Cassandra. All right, Cassandra, I just read your intro to everybody. Why don't you go ahead and tell everyone a little bit about yourself to get us started?
1: Hey, everybody. Uh, Thanks for having me. I like to say that I'm passionate about the human side of technology. That's kind of been the overarching theme of my professional career. I currently am an innovation and product evangelist at a software consulting company called AWH. Our company focuses on both hardware and software products that improve people's lives. So we do a lot of work actually in the nonprofit and healthcare spaces. My professional background includes technical recruiting, community outreach, employee engagement, product ownership, and a lot of coaching and mentoring. Um, I also do a lot of speaking on professional skills and what I like to call human skills for technical audiences. Today, we're going to chat a little bit about career growth paths and how to decide when it's time to make a career move, what it is that you might like to do best, and then cover some job search tips as well.
0: Yeah, I think I kind of filled filled you in ahead of time. A lot of our folks are looking for that next step. They're either looking to get into a new role that suits them better, picture a lot of people who maybe got into their careers during a recession period. So they took what they could get. And now they're really trying to figure out how to find the thing that they're passionate about and, or can get into that dream job. And I saw your talk on finding your dream job and some of those interview skills. And I said, this is perfect. We decided to turn this around a little bit. I'm going to let Cassandra walk me through some of the things she talks about in her talk, but also I'm going to play the part of the client or mentee at this point and kind of answer some of those questions so people can see what it would look like To answer these questions themselves, maybe they could then turn it around and and use the information you give uh, for themselves.
1: Sounds good to me. To start, though, I'd like to actually learn a little bit about your professional background and how does you got to where you are.
0: Sure. So I got into technology during a boom period. All you needed was a warm body and some aptitude because it was perfect because I didn't actually go to school for uh, information technology or computer science or anything like that. I actually went to school for ministry. But I found oh. myself in a, in a field where I'd always had an aptitude for computers. I was programming basic on my Commodore 64 when I was 10. I was the only kid who was in the local Commodore 64 club growing up. So I started my career at Safe Light Glass cleaning printers for their dot matrix printers. They used to do impact printing for their triple, triplicate forms. It's a dirty, dirty job. But it did get me into an opportunity to work in break-fix, laptop support, desktop support, and then eventually Active Directory administration took me to limited where limited brands where I got out of the real desktop support and got into more of um, application support so I was supporting our marketing operations team I learned a lot about data and analytics on that side of the house and then followed a manager that I really really liked over to Victoria's Secret Direct victoriasecret.com which a lot of people think is a great job but it's just as stressful as everything else um it's just the art on the wall is very, very different than what you're used to in corporate America. But there I started dealing with front-end and back-end web development, but they got into Java, which I was not my strong suit, and I could not wrap my head around. And what I ended up doing there is kind of reinventing the business analyst role. They didn't have that in that space. So I kind of took that over as the liaison between the business and the developers, trying to keep them doing what they can do best and let me do what I can do best so we're all kind of working at an optimal level but they didn't have the headcount for it where I was. So I moved back to the business, business intelligence space, kept that role. Then moved, after a few years, moved on to a, my first kind of startup. It was a 10-year-old startup called Two Checkout. It was a third-party payment processor. Okay, uh, They'd kind of reinvented themselves in the last year. That's why I joked that they were a 10-year-old startup. Got there. It's a small group of people really focused on doing one thing well. A great group. We spent a lot of time reinventing the culture there so we could bring in uh, the right resources to do the job and they were great people. We had a great time. I'm still in contact with a lot of them through a Slack where we were like a, in a survivor's group as it were. But when things collapsed there due to um, nothing on any of our parts, really, I ended up finding a new outlet going to Centric Consulting and that's where I've been for the last three years. It's another medium sized consulting firm, but it's it's much smaller than the Safe Light Glasses or the limited brands that I've worked with before. I like the small cluster of people that I'm working with. I like being able to move from job to job. When I looked back at my resume, I changed roles about every two and a half, three years regardless. And this gives me the opportunity to do that without a job search. So I can move from one project to another don't have to deal with redoing my resume and going through the interview process all the time. So that give you a good overview?
1: Yeah, really good overview. And I'm already hearing in kind of the career path that you've had. It sounds like you've been somewhat deliberate in reflecting on your career path even, during the process, like you said, you tried Java and it didn't work out. So you decided, which skills do I have that I can apply to the company? Okay, let me apply those in a certain company, and then some good comparisons too between big and small companies, consulting and not. So, what is it that you're doing at Centric?
0: Well, right now I'm working out of Cardinal Health in a in what's called Fuse, which is a startup within Cardinal Health. So people who aren't local to the area may not know that, but Cardinal Health is a huge uh, medical distributor. Uh, and inside of Cardinal Health, they've created this startup environment that lets them test some things, proof of concept ideas, and spin up starter things without going through the more onerous enterprise technology processes. But it, it has that feel of a startup. You know, everyone's dressed casually. It's an open environment. You've got the free food and the ping pong table, which is kind of standard for startups here in the Columbus area. Uh, but, it's a, but it's a great way to work with a smaller group of folks doing a very specific project. And I've been there uh, leading a team of developers for the last... Uh, four months, I guess it is, coming up.
1: So you're dev lead then?
0: Yeah, doing iteration management, dev you know, dev lead, business analysis, because in a small team, you wear a lot of hats.
1: Yep, that's for sure. How do you, how do you feel about wearing a lot of hats?
0: Well, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Emily Wapnick's work. Um, she, I think, coined the phrase multi-potentialite. Used to be a renaissance man or jack of all trades, but it's more gender neutral to say multi-potentialite, which I am fine with, and it's a new kitsch phrase. So I have interests that go somewhat deep over a lot of places. So a lot of hats works really well for me. I can dive in and get, and be interested in anything for a short period of time. Then there's that diminishing return of interest as you get into things that are a little bit deeper, because it's just not as exciting. It takes a little bit longer to learn more information. And so I find myself being like, okay, I'm really excited for a short period. I can try this thing and do that thing and switching around uh, works well for me.
1: That makes me think you're in the right area being in consulting. Well, cool. So now that I have some of your background... So one thing that I I think that we do is a lot of people in our industry tend to just jump from job to job to job without really reflecting on what it is that they truly want. Or they're just chasing maybe a little bit more money or something like that.
0: I think it's fair of of all industries, wouldn't you say? Not just the tech and shield. It's it's really easy to do there, it seems like.
1: Yep. Yeah, that two-year tenure that you were mentioning, that's Uh definitely a thing. Back in my tech recruiting days, I remember being at first surprised that I get all these resumes where people had a different job every two to three years. And then I realized people are consulting or a lot of times the big reason people are moving isn't even for the money. The main reason that I hear people in our industry want to change jobs is they want new challenges. Mm-hmm. They're solving the same problems over and over. They don't want to be doing that. That That's the case with myself. Even I did recruiting for a very long time and it got to the point where recruiting I don't want to say it wasn't challenging because it's hard to find people, technical talents, very much in demand, but it was a problem I had solved hundreds of times over and over. How do I find the right person, the right opportunity? You're repeating just, the
0: same process day in and day out. Yep.
1: Exactly. When I started to get a little bit antsy about recruiting, alongside this, I'd been really involved in the tech community running a local conference called DogfoodCon. We focused on Microsoft and open source technologies. And I had helped with some other kind of user groups and hosting events and things. And at one point, I started to see kind of a lot of common themes and a lot of questions that technical professionals had about either how to build their professional networks or figure out what to do with their careers. So I started speaking on those topics. And that speaking and teaching was something that I realized that I was good at, that I enjoyed and was a skill that I could grow. And that growing that skill actually kind of got me into my current job, which now my full-time job is community outreach, evangelism, telling people about the things that we're building and kind of sharing some of what we're doing as well as this coaching. So the thing is, a lot of people don't do that. A lot of us, like I said, we jump from job to job. And if you don't kind of sit back and take the time to deliberately reflect on your career, you're just going to wind up chasing jobs that wind up not being the right fit when it comes to trying to figure out what your dream job is. I can't say I'm going to tell you what you want to be when you grow up, but I can help you maybe figure out your next move or next couple moves.
0: See, if you would have been able to tell me the answer to that question, you could make a million dollars because I am 40 years old and still cannot figure out the answer to what I want to be when I grow up.
1: Well, nobody knows that or very few people know that. So that's just kind of common. Um, But when you're kind of figuring out what to do with your career, there's four kind of areas that you need to look at when you sit down and do a very deliberate career path reflection. And I literally have a worksheet that I hand out to people to go through these exercises when I do this as a workshop. But you're going to want to reflect on your career path, which is basically what got me to this point now? How did I arrive at this job? How did I arrive at this position? And then from there, you kind of focus on your goals. So think about your values and your priorities and the types of things you would like in a future job. Once you've done those two things, then you can dive into trying to find opportunities, whether they're internal to your company or external, a lot of these principles apply. And then just step back and reflect and kind of measure your successes. The other thing I think is a lot of times people and mentors and bosses and interviewers are notorious for this is they ask you, what do you want to do? And you're expected to lead with a goal of what it is that you want to do. But if you haven't done the reflection and thought about your career path and what you value, you can't answer that question effectively. So, like I said, four years of reflection. And the first one is to kind of talk about your career path. And you touched on this a little bit with how you moved from role to role. What made you move out of ministry? Hmm.
0: So that's an interesting question. I was looking for those kind of jobs as I was at SafeLite. And I'll be honest, part of it was the ability to be able to provide for a family. So I was married, looking for those positions, and I kind of joke about it being golden handcuffs. I had an opportunity for a career path, making a decent amount of money, um, and then trying to figure out how I could do something else that I would want to follow. Money wasn't all of it, it was just, there's a much tougher role there. And I didn't like the idea that if I was still changing the ideas of what I believed, that that would cost me my career. Because uh, I was still exploring a lot of things as far as what I believed and, and wasn't, I don't think, completely settled on things. And as evidenced by looking back now, in retrospect, I definitely would have gotten fired from whatever jobs I was in for some of those changes. So,
1: All right. All right. Good to know. So right there, you have kind of a couple of reasons that you might want to make a career path. And that's one of the first things or might want to make a career move. And that's one of the first things to ask yourself is why am I looking for something different Mm -hmm. and it is extremely common. Don't know, I don't, I won't say maybe half, but probably 35 to 40% of the people I talk to who work in tech don't have technical degrees. Some don't have a degree at all. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the cool things about our industry is you can kind of transfer your skills and your learning into our industry into some sort of a software-related job. So when you decided to move from ministry to the job at Safe Flight where you were cleaning printers, what was it about that job that attracted you?
0: that was strictly opportunity. So a friend, of, a friend of mine already worked there and the the manager of that department also went to our church. So we we knew each other pretty well as, as well. So it was the opportunity to get there. And it was like, Hey, if you're interested in computers, this is a great place to work. They just, like I said, wanted somebody with some aptitude. And so I had computer skills. Like I said, I've been programming on my own for years. What I got was definitely not programming. Uh, and it was definitely more of a blue collar kind of job. Although it's definitely the opportunity to roll that into uh, more white collar as you got out of the point of sale team over to like the administrative, active directory administration, which wasn't even available at the time. That's how old I am or going over to like a network team or something like that. So it really started as just an opportunity. It's a great job. It was, you know, a dollar more an hour than I was making it um, discover card where I was and I wanted to get off the phones. So it worked out really well.
1: Nice. Okay. So this is where you would, as you're doing your career path reflection, kind of sit down and think about, well, I've had these so many jobs in my life. What were my favorite jobs? And I usually have people list top three favorite jobs. From there, also the things that you like best and least about your current job. And once you list all of those things out, that kind of helps you have a smaller set of things to focus on because job searching can become so overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So in my case, that turned into... My favorite jobs have been the ones where I've been very interactive with people. The things I liked best about my previous jobs were when I was out in the tech community teaching people, I liked mentoring and coaching, and I liked being able to make a difference in people's lives. And I liked that I had socialized for a living. (laughs) Things, Things I didn't like as much, data entry.
0: Yeah, nobody likes that.
1: Yeah. I toyed with being a programmer, took some programming classes and realized that programming wasn't for me. I always said if I'd be on a dev team, I'd be the BA or the scrub master or something mm-hmm. like that. That's the interface role between people and tech. Those are kind of the first questions to ask yourself. What are my favorite jobs I've ever had? What do I like best about my current job? And what do I like least about my current job? And then the fourth kind of piece to look at in your career path is what skills did you learn at your last job that you use in your career role? Ooh. And so... The example I give for this, trying to think how to make it a shorter story, I graduated with my MBA in organizational leadership with a marketing minor. And during MBA school, my favorite classes were HR and marketing. So I moved to Columbus and started applying for jobs in HR and marketing. And then I realized that recruiting kind of marries those two things.
0: Yeah, I can see that.
1: And I had been a Spanish minor in college. And I was still pretty fluent in Spanish. And so I applied for a job as a bilingual recruiter, hiring temps for a warehouse. And so that was my first job in recruiting was to be in a warehouse, recruiting temps when it came to the holidays, and kind of dealing with people from a bunch of different countries, dealing with this very fast paced, high volume, high demand position, learned a ton of things. But I decided it was time to make a move because the position had me on call 24-7.
0: Ooh, as a recruiter?
1: As a recruiter. Cool. So I carried around, this was, smartphones are kind of newer not then. I literally carried around an Excel spreadsheet that had my on-call list. And if an extra truck showed up or we had weather or something happened, I had to be on the phone wherever I was calling my people to try to get them to go in and cover these last minute staffing changes. And kind of the final straw was I was at my grandfather's funeral and I was getting calls from work. And I was like, I'm at my grandpa's funeral. I can't do this. So decided it was time to make a move and knew I really liked recruiting. knew I liked giving people a chance to make their lives better through jobs. And I have always been a bit of a geek. I had several friends who worked in tech and so I started targeting technical recruiting jobs. So I took The Spanish skills from my undergrad, the HR and marketing skills from my MBA, and then the hands-on experience, plus an interest in tech, moved into technical recruiting. And my first position was at more of kind of a traditional staffing company. I started to get familiar with, at a high level, a lot of different technologies and tools, learned to speak the language, became increasingly curious about tech, and got involved in the tech community. And That company was giving me a lot of pushback for the amount of time I was spending out in the community because if I was out in the community, I wasn't making the X number of calls they wanted me to make in a day. Mm. So I had been kind of toying with finding a new job. And I wound up being I had a friend who worked for a different consulting company. He sent me a text back in it was the winter and he asked, Was I going to be at Code MASH? Which is a big conference in the Kalahari indoor water park in the winter. In Ohio, it's a lot of fun. It's I describe it as summer camp meets college. But I got invited. I mean, have you been?
0: No, I keep getting turned down for speaking roles there, so Uh, I haven't got a chance to make it up.
1: Got it. I've been in all capacities. I've been there as a recruiter, a speaker, a bunch of different roles. But I got invited to a party that this consulting company I worked for was hosting. They basically invited several recruiters to the party, and kind of saw how we interacted with the technologists. And from there, I got the job. And that particular company hosted a lot of community and user groups and a lot of events. And so I started getting involved in... I was the person who ordered pizza for the user groups. But if you order pizza for 12 user groups a month, you start to get to know a lot of people. Sure. And the whole reason I even got that job was because they had seen me out and about, involved with Dog Food Con and some other things. And then from there, I moved into a position that didn't work out. I was at the consulting company for five years. Recruiting ceased to be a challenge and I wasn't having as much time to do some of the, the mentoring I was as passionate about. So I moved into what was supposed to be a, an employee engagement and mentoring position with a software consulting company. They told me that was going to be the job, but in actuality, they, there was just a mismatch between what they hired me to do and what I did. They actually needed a full-time recruiter. So then I was without a job for a few months. But that made me do a lot of reflecting on my path and on what I liked. And then I wound up at AWH, where in a weird twist, the guy that, was, that hired me into the company, I had interviewed him in the past. Oh, yeah? Made him an offer and he went somewhere else. Oh, what? Wow. Yes. <laughs> and I was hired on to be a product owner because the logic there was, I could speak technology, I could speak business. At a high level, I understand things like agile and all that. And so those skills would transfer, but then they brought me into the company and put me in this evangelism role within a few weeks because they needed somebody with those skills and I had those skills. So it's kind of been my path is every job move should be doing more of the things that you like and less of the things you don't like every time you make a job move.
0: Yeah, it seems like if you follow that path, then you will eventually land a dream job. Exactly, more of what you like and less of what you don't like. That's perfect. That's a perfect opportunity if you can make it happen, I suppose.
1: Yeah, and that's why it's important to sit and reflect on your likes and dislikes, and think about another good thing to be considering is what were some of your favorite projects and why did you like them? Is
0: that actually a question for me?
1: Yeah, that's actually, that's actually a question for you.
0: Well, I was thinking about uh, you know all the different points you made at talking about that. The things that I've very not to copy your answers, but the things that I've always enjoyed about my job are the interactions with people one of my favorite roles was being in desktop support because I would get a ticket where, you know, somebody's world is falling apart. Their file got deleted or their computer's not working. They've got this thing and I got to be the superhero because I would just come to their desk and I, okay, hold on. Click, click, click. There you go. Everything's back to normal. Oh, you, you saved me. You know, I heard that multiple times. I started joking around about being Superman, but I loved that interaction. I love being able to help people in that way. When I had to actually sit down and you know, do some research, that got a little bit boring, but I could always motivate myself with the idea of, well, I'm helping those people. So even, and I'll back up, even though I didn't do you know, full-time ministry, I was in a role where I was helping students, doing things along those lines. Uh, that teaching aspect I've always enjoyed, which is kind of what brings me back around to doing Toastmasters now. Uh, I love verbal communication. I love giving presentations and teaching and that sort of thing. So those are the skills that I want to do more of in my next job. The things that I don't like um, and I've, I've said this to my my bosses so this isn't surprising I keep getting on these these contracts through my company by myself and it's me and then the team and as much as I'm I'm a good people person I make friends with people but there's always a kind of a wall of well he's not going to be around long he's not one of us so there's there's a little bit of disconnect there where I would love to get on a team you know, once in my career as a consultant, I've been on our team, where it was all of our folks for uh, nine months working on a project. And that was wonderful. We're in our own studio. We built that relationship as a team. We're all working towards a common goal, You know, leading another team of developers, doing doing a thing and being like, hey, this is our project. We own this. We're going to make it happen. And that unity really brought something special to the job that if I was doing that with another group, it would have been nice, but it wouldn't have been as fun as doing it with these folks that you work with.
1: That's a really good thing to be aware of. And something I advise once we get a little bit further into this kind of job search process is identifying opportunities and looking for a new position doesn't mean you have to jump company. Sometimes it means that you're making an internal move. And so what you're doing now telling your manager, hey, I'd like to be more of a team member, especially if you frame it up in the way that you did, you want to be part of a team that's cohesive and solving problems together all of those things are things that a manager will hear and a good manager will respond to and help you find something within the company and it's good that you're framing it in a more positive way as opposed to i've had kind of a job search pro tip don't be negative i've had people complain and complain about their bosses their employers their coworkers you know all this stuff so it's good that you're framing it in such a positive way
0: yeah i've I've learned that people don't want to really hear your problems but they will they're fine to hear your solutions
1: yeah that's so. exactly it That's exactly it. Well, cool. So after you've done this kind of career path reflection, and it sounds like you have a good idea of what you've liked and disliked, the next thing you you want to think about are some of your career goals. And you really need to look at your priorities, which are kind of a distinction between priorities and values. So your priorities are those kind of more practical considerations: salary, location, training opportunities, company culture, some of those things. Whereas values are kind of the principles and the behavior that drive your professional and your personal life. And you want to sit back and reflect on those. And I said early on, you had a newer family. And so money was something that was very important in your probably in your priority list when you were prioritizing. And this is one thing in tech where we're really fortunate is that as we advance in our careers, especially after we get two or three years of experience under our belt, there's all sorts of opportunities. And so you can start prioritizing things other than just getting the experience and just the money. Is there a specific industry that you're passionate about? Is there a specific type of software language you're passionate about? Do you prefer startups, large companies? You can be a lot more picky and think about what it is that you value in a company. And if you don't mind, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit and ask you kind of what are the things you most prioritize and value. In a job.
0: Well, I was going to ask you, you give examples about priorities. What are the examples you have for your values there? So I know where you're going.
1: So if I'm considering my values professionally, the things I value are learning, community, collaboration, travel is, well, travel is probably more of a priority, but kind of the things at work that align with the things I value in my real life, which I'm big on helping other people. And I like to be social and interact. One of my other values, I guess, and one thing I like about working at AWH is I like to do work that makes people's lives better. And so, doing applications for nonprofits and for healthcare, especially some of the things we're doing are based on rehabilitation after injuries or a pacifier that helps babies learn how to suckle, things that actually make people's lives better. And so, for me, that was one of my values. And on this most recent job search, it was something that I wanted was, I don't want to just work at any old consulting company. I want to work on things that improve people's lives. All right.
0: So I think, it, and I, I may not get these categories right off the bat, but um, company culture is, is a huge thing for me. Mm-hmm. I, one of the reasons I've stayed with Centric is because I actually talked to some people at one of our, um, one of our large company meetings. We all thought we joined a cult when we came on board because we heard the same kind of stories about uh, how much the company looks out for one another and they've never let anybody go for financial reasons even through the recession of you know the big the great recession like okay i'm sure you're blowing smoke everyone's telling me the same story you guys have rehearsed this i got on board and then got on the bench and i was on the bench which if we're not in the consulting world it means i was not billing i was not making any money for the company but they were still paying me longer than i was on my first project And so i thought for sure i was going to get fired And so after a few months of that, I sat down, and had lunch with one of our partners and I told him about these feelings. He's like, no, we don't do that. I told you that. So it's like that culture of walking the talk that you have, actually caring about your people. Um, I want to work in a company that has that, where I don't feel like a number. I feel like I'm part of a family. Uh, And that usually comes with smaller companies, although there are ways to do that in a large company through smaller organizations that I think can be effective. Location for me is becoming more important just because I hate being in a commute. Like I'm driving 45 minutes each way to get to my current role. And as much as I like the role, in fact, I probably wouldn't mind staying there for for longer periods of time, except it's 45 minutes each way through some of the worst traffic in Columbus. So I end up going the wrong way at the wrong time. Not that that's a huge issue because you're always going to get to your job. It's just, it's an irritating irritating factor. Um, I like flexibility. So I wouldn't work in a more traditional organization where they want FaceTime you know, if you're not there after six o'clock, the boss notices I've been in those environments and I just don't care. Um, I'm paid to get a job done and I'm really good at what I do and I will get the job done one way or another. But if I have to work 7.30 to four or something like that to, to make that happen or I need to have the flexibility to work from home, or whatever, those kind of things are becoming more important. I do want to be doing something that I feel like I'm making a difference. The current role that I'm in, um, see what I can and cannot say. I can definitely see where this is helping small businesses and the folks that are mom and pop organizations that may not have the services that we're being able to, we're able to provide for them. And so I know this is helping those people on an individual level and that's important. It helps the larger company as well, but I know there are some folks out there that are going to be more profitable because of the thing that I did and that's going to help their business survive. And I think that's important. Being able to see that that I'm making a difference and what difference it is making. And from a priorities perspective, I think it's flexible culture. And um, what was the first thing I said? The location is kind of of becoming more important as I get tired of driving. I didn't mind it so much when I was younger, but I'm getting old and don't want to sit in a car for an hour Mm -hmm. and a half
1: a day. So from here, what I've done then is, as you've named your priorities and values, I've kind of made a list. So you value culture and stability and support. You prefer being in a smaller company or one where you're treated You feel like you have people standing up for you. Location is important to you. You earlier mentioned that you like speaking. You like seeing people grow. You like being out in the community. And you want to make a difference. So making a list of that stuff are things that can be things that you'll target in your next position. Kind of a little bit more off the wall question. What would... Oh, go on. I
0: was going to say it's interesting because there's certain things I pointed out earlier that you picked up on that when you asked me to actually name the things, I didn't say again. So there are things that are... That were priorities like the speaking and, and those kind of roles that I didn't think of when you, when you asked. And mm-hmm. it's good to have somebody else help you through this process because they'll pick up on things that you can't see for your own blind spots.
1: That's exactly it. And I, you know, I've been making little notes, so I'm just kind of picking up, like you've mentioned company size a handful of times. So that's clearly something that is important to you, wanting to be not doing the same thing.
0: I'm trying metacognition now. I'm thinking yeah. about how I think. I wouldn't say that, that the company size is important, but facets of things that I do care about tend to go with a certain company size. So yeah, that's, if you don't think yep. about those things ahead of time, you may not understand your wants and needs going into a situation and then you kind of, you end up where you end up, but not maybe where you wanted to go.
1: Yeah. And that, that makes sense. And that's something that as you're evaluating your opportunities and applying jobs or interviewing for jobs within your company or not, you can ask questions about what's the company culture like. If you're in consulting, asking about bench policy is absolutely something you should do. And asking about things like what kind of training opportunities are available, what are kind of after hours expectations, ask, the inter- ask everybody that you interview with why they like working for the company. Mm-hmm. Those can be some good questions that can help you make a more informed decision during a job move. So what about if you had in an imagination world, like if I didn't have to have a a normal job and all that stuff, if I could have any job in the world, I'd be a travel blogger or have a travel show or something like that. That's my absolute ultimate dream job. And the reason I ask this absolute kind of dream job, fantasy job question is it actually helps you narrow down the things that will make you happiest. So in my case, I would like to be a travel blogger because I like to see new things. I like to meet new people. I like to learn. I like to teach people about things that I find interesting and so I'm not being a travel blogger or having a travel show anytime soon, but I have managed to find ways to do that within technology with the speaking heavy role. I get to travel, get to meet new people. I get to learn a lot of different things. I have very interesting conversations with the people I meet. So there are a lot of the things that I would like about that particular job that I've now found ways to do in my current job. So what would be kind of most off the wall dream job?
0: This is not an uncommon question and I've, I've hit it a few different times and it it always, I come up back to the same thing. I don't know because I have so many different interests. I've I'm trying to find ways to be intentionally congruent and bring them all together. And I don't know what that is. So I would probably bounce around a lot. Like if, if I won the lottery and money was no object, I would, I would have the freedom to play around and figure out what I want to do without having to make a living. Uh, and that, so my process of finding, you know, what did you, what we say earlier, doing more things that I want to do, doing less things that I don't want to do would probably be faster, but I don't know what it would look like. So I'd still go back to, I want to be helping people. I'd like to be speaking and teaching. Um, I'd like to be interacting with folks um, and helping them coaching, mentoring, um, watching people grow and helping them achieve their goals. Those type of things, like why I started this podcast would be a part of that. I just don't know what the final picture would look like because I'd want to draw things from several different areas and and build probably a job that doesn't exist for anybody but me. Um, and it would just be faster because I would have a million dollars in the bank or whatever the situation is. and wouldn't have to do it in my spare time.
1: If you do all right, you can build out a job for you. I It's early. It's a week into this new position, but I feel like I've actually managed to do that. Now I hit AWH at a time, right when we need somebody to be doing, going out and sharing the projects that we're doing. And it, it's worked out really well that I've kind of found my dream job or close to it. Um, like I said, it's new, it's only a weekend, but right now it seems like everything I want to be doing. And so there are ways to build that out, but there are also options. So one thing I had been toying with during my job search was we have a lot of things in common, wanting to help and speak and teach. I had been with my career career can take several different directions. I can go into kind of developer relations and product evangelism, which will have me in the community teaching and speaking. So that's one kind of sort of option. You can go independent and do mentoring and coaching kind of independent. It's it's got its challenges. I know people that have done it successfully. And you can also sometimes find positions, you know, part of a tech team like Sometimes some of the agile coaching roles and those sorts of things, those people wind up being more of teachers and mentors, at least ideally than some of the other positions on a dev team. So those are kind of some options that bring together all of those things that interest you. And there are many, many more, but those are kind of some of the ones that I would see could see you going as kind of a coaching role or an evangelism role and outreach role, those sorts of things.
0: Yeah. And that's good. I've, I've tried to lean myself towards those things in, in the consulting avenue. I've definitely done coaching and training as part of the projects that Mm -hmm. I'm doing. It's just a matter of doing more of that and less of the other stuff that I'm still trying to work towards.
1: Yep. And so that's where you start thinking about identifying opportunities, which is the third piece of this whole figure out this process. So if you are conducting an external job search, in my case, I went on developer relations job boards and looked, I made a list of companies that I knew were doing cool stuff in the community A big thing I did was I reached out to my network and said I was looking for positions. Internally, as I was kind of starting my career evolutions, I did a lot of doing things outside of my job description and doing things that weren't necessarily what HR said I should be doing with a little bit of um, asking forgiveness and not permission. This is one of my kind of tips. You need to do what your boss says, you need to do what the team needs from you, but push the envelope a little bit. Recruiters aren't supposed to speak at technical conferences, but I submitted a proposal to Codemash and figured the worst that happens is they say no. They accepted me to do a talk called It's Okay to Talk to Strangers, in which I lay out the process of professional networking. And that became this whole big thing. But you don't know if you don't try. And at first, my company was like, well, this is awesome that you're speaking at Codemash. We're glad you're doing it. But I didn't tell them I was submitting a talk until after I would already submitted.
0: Mm -hmm. I like that you said Look at specific companies. I think a lot of times when we are looking for an external position, we kind of throw the blanket out there. Um, I'm in the middle of reading What Colors Your Parachute? I don't know if you're <laughs> familiar with that book. It, it, the whole job search field is changing. And I might be confusing this with Crash Your Career because I read them both back to back. But trying to just throw your resume out on a job board and hope somebody responds you're probably not going to get the response that you're looking for. You're going to get the jobs that maybe haven't been filled yet, which means either they couldn't find the people or more than likely nobody wanted to take that job. Yes. And so if you can target specific companies that are meeting those needs and those priorities and those values that you've already talked about and targeted, because you, if you've gone through this process and understand yourself, you know what you're looking for. Well, then you can target those specific places. And when you go to them, you're targeting your job search towards those companies And you're much more likely to at least make a connection, if not get to where you want to be. Is that correct?
1: That's correct. And here's where we get to the beauty of having a network and the beauty of being involved in the tech community and getting to know people. And I'm on my third of three pretty awesome jobs. All three of these jobs I got without applying. I was approached in all three cases by the companies and said, hey, we want you to work for this job in... One of the case, in one of the companies, the resume was merely a formality. The other two companies didn't even ask for a resume. And that's because over the years, I've built up a network within the tech industry. I've built myself up as somebody who is knowledgeable about certain topics. And more importantly, I'd argue, is I've helped a lot of people. And so last November, when my previous job didn't work out, my first thought wasn't update my resume. And my first first thought wasn't, Call my friends and cry. My first thought was, all right, I'm going to put something out on social media that I'm looking for a new job. So I put it out on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, all three. And within a week, I had a list of 50 different leads that people sent me for companies, for positions, for people I should talk to that I could then use to start my job search. And I wouldn't have had that if I hadn't spent so many years not only building my network, but helping my network and maintaining relationships with people in it. And so if you're targeting and i was targeting work at some certain companies that i knew about and i knew that those companies were were good because my friends were happy to work there and could have me you know give me a referral to get into the company if if it was needed and i knew kind of what i was getting into i guess with with all of those positions and i was able to do my homework and so even for a handful of jobs which i did apply for a little bit more blindly i would apply through the job portal, but then I would also email my friend who worked at Company X or Company Y and say, "Hey, I've applied for this position. What are your thoughts on you know me do, taking this position and getting their feedback?" And then they would say, "Oh, you know, we'll make you an introduction to the hiring manager."
0: So here's here's the first time I'm going to tap into your inside the recruiter's head knowledge. When you do apply to a job, if you know somebody there and you get that connection, does that actually bump your resume to the top of the recruiter's list?
1: Absolutely.
0: Yes, I
1: knew it. Yes. And there's reasons for that. So people want to work with people that they like and that are competent. And so the people that my consultants would refer into my companies were people they liked and people they wanted to work with. They aren't going to refer people who are going to not be a good fit for the job.
0: And people that are good at what they do. I mean, exactly. That's why they want to work with them. Let's not make, I mean, let's make that explicit.
1: Yep, that's exactly it. And so the referrals would always get bumped up to the top of the list. Once I got out of the staffing company, especially, I didn't use job boards hardly at all in recruiting. I used Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, word of mouth, community events, all of those things to connect with people instead. It takes a long, it takes longer. And this works on the job search end too. It takes you a little bit longer to build relationships with people and get to know them than it does to just blindly apply apply for jobs, but I think you're looking at a quality over quantity thing there. And if you're taking opportunities with people you actually know and companies, you actually know you're going to wind up being more fulfilled.
0: Right. And that's a a good argument for keeping your network strong. Yes. Um, By helping people, I think we, I grew up in a rural area or a small town in a rural area where everyone kind of knew each other or your cousin knew somebody. You had that close tie because everyone has grown up with the same families. You get into an area like tech in a, maybe a, a city like Columbus or even a larger city, now it feels pretty small. seems like we all know somebody who knows somebody here in Columbus. Um, I think everybody knows Warner more. That's mm-hmm. just the rule of thumb in Columbus, everybody knows that guy. Um, shout out to Warner, he's a right guy. But if you're, if, if you're not in that network, getting to know people, making things happen, the, the odds of you finding that connection when you need it are going to be much lower. And, and I don't say you keep your network just for the sake of what you need them. You want to be helping people because that builds a community. And we all want to have a stronger community wherever we're going. And that's it's why people do fraternal organizations, why Meetup exists, you know, why all the the tech conferences are there. A lot of people, you learn a few things there, but a lot of the times it's like seeing all of your old friends again. It's the couple of times a year you get together because, oh, yeah, we're all going to Codemash this year. We'll see you there. You're going to do the belly flop into the pool again. It'll be great. But have a good yeah. time.
1: Yeah, that's definitely a thing. And that's exactly it. As you, you need to help the people in your network. And I think sometimes people think that helping somebody in their network is this grand thing of, oh, I need to find them a job or I need to, you know, do something that's completely life-changing for them. When sometimes helping somebody is, they want to go to a meetup and they're afraid to go alone. So you go with them. They're interested in a topic. You find an interesting blog article about it. You send that article to them. They're one thing that I wind up doing is a lot of people ask me how to become a conference speaker. And so I will send people a list that Evelyn Van Til, another person that everybody in Columbus Tech knows. Is I know that the, name. <laughs> yep. <laughs> She's compiling a list of a lot of the Central Ohio Tech events with a list of when their calls for papers and stuff open. So I've been sharing that out with people and saying, hey, if you're really interested in being a speaker, I'm happy to review your abstracts because that's something that People to this day still do for me when I, when I'm proposing a new talk, I'll reach out to a couple of my speaker friends for abstract review. They do, and I review their abstracts. So it's something that there's a lot of different ways to help people, but that's kind of a lot of my specific.
0: Yeah. And I think we often forget people like to be helpful. We think Mm -hmm. we're burdening our friends when we ask them for assistance, but most of the time you feel good doing something for somebody else. And so people like to help, people like to be helpful. And we just forget about it because either our pride gets in the way or some other foolish reason instead of just being human beings and helping each other out.
1: Yeah. And that's a lot of kind of how you know your job search and your career path is on the right track, even if you're not at that end goal yet is kind of The fourth section of that career path reflection is your takeaways and your next steps. You reflect on your career and you think about the practical things, right? Am I financially comfortable? Am I, do I have the insurance I need? Do I have kind of those basic needs fulfilled in my job? Okay, good. So I have that stuff covered. Now, how do I feel emotionally in my job? Do I feel rewarded? Do I feel good at the end of the day? Do I feel like I made a difference? Do I feel like I did what I set out to achieve? And if the answer to that is consistently yes, more than no, then you're on the right path for your career. And then kind of the final thing you can do to see if you're on your right path is actually look for feedback. And sometimes that's active feedback from managers and peers. But a lot of times that feedback comes from, well, I gave a conference talk on job search questions you're afraid to ask. I gave that talk and two months later, a woman came up to me and said, Cassandra, I was in your talk at Code Palooza, and I was in the midst of a job search and I took your advice, and now I'm in my perfect job because I've given her all the tools for her research. So, feel
0: great to know that you did that.
1: Exactly, and so that's what I mean also by feedback is our people thanking you or telling you how you've impacted their lives. And I think that's how you know you're really successful in your career. And so that's kind of the, the, I guess, the last piece about it is to just sit and reflect on. You don't have to every day or even every week, but a lot of times I will sit back at the end of a week at work and think back on my week, was it more bad than good? Okay, was it fulfilling? Why was it fulfilling? And then kind of iterate on it, honestly, just this stuff worked, this stuff didn't. How can I do more of this stuff that I liked and make myself more fulfilled at work?
0: Yeah, and I think that intentionality helps a lot. And a lot lot of us don't take time we should to do that because we're so busy. But a few minutes each day, reflecting on what you did for the week, reflecting on what you want to do, even like the night before, what, what are my priorities for the next day? Mm-hmm. Setting those up instead of jumping right into email or, or whatever other distractions come your way. You can really be intentional about building your career on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned the other talk, we, if we've got some time to get into, which are, if you do get that interview that you're looking for, have the questions that you're afraid to ask, I think is a really interesting topic. Because I've a long time ago, just figured out that if I don't care. I do much better in interviews, mm-hmm. uh, and I say that kind of facetiously. Obviously, I care about how I represent myself, and you know how I do in a particular interview. But when I'm less nervous and just be myself, I come across a lot better. And, and so I'm willing. I'm willing to ask questions in those cases that I might not have been willing to ask before. You no, know, I I still have a friend who brings up one question. He was in my interview, we, and then we ended working together to check out. I'm in a group interview. I looked at everybody, I said so. What do, you, what do you think you should have asked when you were in my position? And I, they didn't have to answer. I, I just, like that. I just watched their, I watched their eyes and it was a, uh, how, what are we allowed to say? Uh, I don't know if I should answer this question. And then they all looked at one guy who was like the most senior guy in the room. And I went, you guys don't really have to answer. You did plenty of answering with your eyes. They gave me some answers that weren't really helpful, but it was the reaction to that question that let me know there were some things going on there that I might have, if I would have been more aware of, maybe I wouldn't have taken the role, but then I would have met the great people that I've met. But there were some things in the company that were kind of like, ah, uh, that might've hurt. Might've have, might have learned.
1: Yep. That's you know? kind of brilliant. <laughs> yeah. um, when, I guess one way to ask that is what are the biggest challenges a company faces? And so, to some extent you got to re- read between the lines. When yep. I was interviewing and I, d- I did something similar when I was interviewing at AWH. I was interviewing for a position and everybody kept talking about this exciting growth and how things are changing very quickly. And we're building out this whole new practice around project management, and product ownership, and the company's gone from 30 to 50 people in four months, and that the job could be challenging and stressful. They were very transparent with me in the interview. And so I said, well, if this job is so challenging and stressful, why is it that you all stay here? And everybody in the room had an answer. And everybody's answers were consistently, well, we know we're all in this together. We know that AWH is at a point where we're growing and we're changing and we're supporting each other on it. We know that we are welcome to try something and experiment and fail safely as long as we learn from it. And we know that kind of everybody's in the same boat. And then the other thing they said is that there's not a lot of this culture of, Working 24-7. Like, I haven't brought my laptop home from work in a week and a half, and I don't remember the last time I did that. Like, it's just on my desk at work. That's kind of refreshing.
0: Yes. yes, I could see how That would be refreshing.
1: So that's a question to ask. Other questions to ask the interviewer. Ask the interviewer where they find most of their talent. If a lot of their hiring is via referral, then it's probably a place that people like working.
0: Hmm, That's interesting. I wouldn't have put that together, but it makes perfect sense. That's
1: ask about retention rates, ask about interview your interviewer or interviewers, find out why they joined the company. That's a good question to ask your interviewer as well. What makes you like working here? And another one that you can ask that I think you get a little bit more information than just asking what are your challenges, because usually are the canned answer for that. As how. College- Okay. I don't. Think,
0: I don't think people realize they're allowed to, or or even expected to ask questions. It kind of depends on what level you are in your career. When you're just getting started out, you're nervous. Mm-hmm. You're just worried about getting the job. Yeah. As Like you said, as you get to a point where certain, the priorities and values become of greater importance, that's when you really realize you have to start asking these questions because you don't want to end up in a job that's going to stink in three weeks because you realize that the culture is not what you thought it was, or or whatever it is. So definitely ask ask about everything that's important to you. You don't have to be clever about it. You just have to get the information. Hopefully you can read between the lines because a lot of times they won't be perfectly candid. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they will. If it, you know, hey, this is going to be a tough job, but we all get through it because we work together and we know it's important. Okay, well, if I can deal with that, I can deal with that. But now I have that information.
1: So one thing to remember about these job search questions too is that they're going to change throughout your career. Well, anytime I talk with junior devs or juniors in tech, I tell them their number one priority is to get a job, any job. You want to get a job that's going to give you the professional experience. And I don't care if you're coming out of college, bootcamp, self-taught, whatever your path is. priority one is to get a job and get some hands-on professional tech experience. Do that for a couple years. And then you can start being a little bit pickier about maybe the industry that you're in or the languages you work with, or decide if you're going to specialize or generalize. And then as you get further along in your career, you've established yourself enough, you've established your skills and reputation enough, and technologists are in demand. There are not enough people to fill the openings. And so after you get through those first few years of your career, you as a job seeker are actually almost in the position of power. Anybody who works in tech probably gets a zillion recruiter spam emails a day. That's because we can't find enough people. As you progress in your career, you get to be a little bit more picky and say, Well, I only want to work in this part of town. I only want to work from home. I only want to, you know, work in this particular industry. And so asking about those sorts of things and knowing those sorts of things is important.
0: So, what are some of the other uh, questions people are afraid to ask?
1: Sometimes we get very hung up on only salary as our compensation package. Remember that your insurance, your retirement match, your PTO, training budget, those are all also part of your compensation package. And so Before you accept a job, ask to review the insurance policy and coverages. If it's important for you to get training, ask what training training is available.
0: It astonishes me that there's people who don't do this. Now, this might be because I did several years of writing and teaching on personal finance. And so I had a nice spreadsheet that compared jobs on all those levels. It was the salary, the vacation, the 401k match, everything I could think of. I put in here to compare side by side. Uh, but there is one question that always comes up usually at the first level of the recruiter that I don't know if people will know how to answer. Maybe you can offer some insight. I don't know if I have a good answer. You found about the job. Of course, the salary band is usually not included. So the question always comes up, you know, either what do you make now or what are you looking to make? Mm -hmm. What insight do you have on, on how to handle that question?
1: Okay. So there are a few different ways that you can handle this. Everybody hates the salary question. I hate the salary question. And part of it, I think, is because there's a little bit of distrust on both ends.
0: I'm going to raise my level so I get a better job and you're good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. So there's some distrust. But I think that the bigger piece of why we hate talking about salary is that there's just a lack of information. As a candidate, you want to have done the research on what salary you should be making. And a lot of times I do think it's important to get the salary conversation out early in the interview process, because if you're in consulting, you're capped by bill rates and things. And if you're in non-consulting, you're capped by salary bands. And so you don't want to go through three or four or five interviews to find out that the salary is nowhere near what you need. So I do like getting the salary question out of the way early on in the conversation. For sure. And you can answer it a few different ways. You do not have to tell the interviewer what you're making now. If the interviewer is pushing to know what you're making now, that's usually a sign that.
0: Be careful. For a better term, they're a bad you know. recruiter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, be careful you don't betray your comrades there.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. I, I mean, the, the, who I would consider the good recruiters won't insist because they don't need to know what you're making now. That information is not necessary. It doesn't make a difference. What we do need to know is if the range you're asking for is within the range that we can pay. Mm-hmm. And so I usually tell people in tech, given. Give people like a ten dollars or $15,000 range. Oh, I want to make somewhere between seventy five dollars and $90,000 or whatever your salary cap is. That's plenty of bandwidth and wiggle room that the recruiter knows whether or not you're in, within the ballpark. If you're not comfortable doing that, if you're not comfortable naming a range, then deflect it back on the interviewer and ask what the position pays and find out how, if they're willing to answer that question or not if they're not willing to answer that question, I would press and ask why. You want to frame that salary question up as, I want to make sure that I'm being respectful of your time. And I know that if the salary for this position is not within the range that I'm looking at, it doesn't make sense for this conversation to continue. And you, you can say that you know, in a little bit prettier way, but basically it, it I appreciated it when... I was a recruiter and I had candidates who very much appreciate it when I would say, I, I can't get close to that. You know, you want 140,000 and the most I can pay is one hundred and twenty. Like, I And mean,
0: I think it's fair. I mean, you don't want to waste each other's time. The recruiter has a lot of work to do. You don't want to spend time going to interviews further down the line. If it's really not going to be feasible for you financially. I mean, if it is your dream job, you might find a way to make it work, but you need to know that ahead of time to know whether you're willing to, you're willing to make that decision.
1: And that goes back to knowing your priorities, because maybe your priority, you're at a place in life where, is this a lot, especially with people, like when the kids are out of the house and that sort of thing, you're at a place in your life where you don't need to make necessarily that same salary. So you can go work at the nonprofit, or you can work part-time, or you can do your, your work and prioritize the things other than finances that maybe at a different season in life, you couldn't prioritize.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I like reflecting it back to the recruiter. Um, one of my friends uses something he read in an MBA program. Was like, I, Well, I don't usually discuss salary until there's an offer on the table. Is, is that where we are right now? And it kind of lightens up the mood and then they can re- respond however they want to respond to it. And usually it's with a, oh, well, we're looking in this range from this to this. Is that, with, is that something you're able to do? And yeah, okay. You can make that decision at that point and have that discussion yeah. for, without giving up your own salary information. Yeah.
1: yeah. And that's exactly the reason we're asking that question is we want to make sure We have 15 other candidates to call or however many other candidates. We want to make sure that we're both getting the best use of our time here. It's not so we can try to take you for a ride or whatever on how much money. The other important thing too to talk about across an entire job search when you're talking salaries and you're talking salary negotiation and stuff is that you you definitely in a job search, you want to emphasize your competence and what it is that you're good at and what your skills are, but you want to do that in a way that's not egotistical. So you need to be able to speak to your skills and be able to speak to why the things that you can do are worth X amount of dollars. But you don't want to do it in a way that you're talking down to people or you're bragging or you're being just condescending.
0: Do you have any other uh, good tips for us?
1: Kind of my my main career tips and my main career advice kind of boils down to six words.
0: All right. What's that?
1: Learn stuff, meet people, help others.
0: That's a great six words to accomplish A great career path.
1: That is exactly what you want to do. And that's honestly how you advance in your career and and feel fulfilled.
0: I ask everybody at the end of this podcast, if you've listened to any, you'll know what's coming. If not, you're going to be surprised. Uh Uh, What are you doing today to be better tomorrow?
1: What I'm doing today to be better tomorrow, I just did this today too. This is a really good question. So I am in a role that I've wanted. I'm in a job that I've wanted for a very, very long time. And it's not a job that I've ever done, but I know a number of people through my professional network who work in similar roles. And so today, I put out on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn a question to everybody, and I said, "Hey, developer relations friends, my company has moved me into an evangelism role. And what's your best advice on how to time box your days and how to manage and juggle your varying priorities in this sort of unstructured role?" It's a very practical thing that I'm doing, but. I'm fortunate in that I have that network that I could tie into and ask for advice. And in a really cool twist, one of my good friends who I've known forever runs a user group, Guy Royce. I'm sure some of you have seen him and heard of him. He responded on my Facebook message. I've been in this space for two years. Let's grab lunch or coffee this week and I can give you some tips. So what I'm doing is tapping into my network for advice on something new in my career and
0: learning stuff.
1: Yep. And I'm very grateful to the people who are, who are helping me out in this.
0: All right. Well, Cassandra, we'll have all of your information in the show notes. And I just ask everyone to go out, like, and subscribe. Uh, By the time the show drops, unfortunately, voting will be closed. So hopefully you've already voted for the Columbus Podcast Awards. And I'll let you know in August whether or not we've won. But Cassandra, thank you so much. And everybody listening, I hope you will do something today to be better tomorrow. Be Better Tomorrow is a podcast of FF4 Media. It was released under Creative Commons 3.0 attribution license, which means you can use any part of this you like, as long as you give me credit. The music you're hearing is released by Incom Tech, Kevin McLeod. It's called District 4, also used by Creative Commons license. Go ahead and like, share, and subscribe this episode. Help us find a few more listeners. And if you have any questions for us, go ahead and email me at Jason at BeBetterTomorrow or find me on any of our social media platforms and message me there. Until then, I hope you will be better tomorrow.